While I was visiting Jerry and Kathy Swerdlick in southern Florida last week, I contacted Father Chris Sank. He's the pastor of their parish on Sanibel Island. I contacted him to let him know that I was in town and that I would be willing to celebrate his 5 p.m. Saturday Vigil Mass if he wanted me to. I had done that for him a couple of years ago when I was down there on vacation. Well, thankfully, Father Sank said yes, so I celebrated and I preached at the 5 p.m. liturgy at St. Isabel Church. And it went very well. I inflicted on them a homily that I had inflicted on all of you about three years ago, and they received it well. They were very receptive to the message, as many of you were when I gave it here three years ago. Well, when Mass was over, I did what I normally do at the end of the liturgy. I processed down the center aisle, and I began to greet people in the vestibule of the church. Nothing unusual about that. The only difference between there and here was that, aside from the Swordlicks, I didn't know anyone in the line. Or so I thought. As the last few people were coming out of the main part of the church, I happened to look over in that direction, and I saw a smiling face. A smiling face that nearly gave me a coronary. <laughs> Thanks be to God, my heart is in good health was the last person on earth I expected to see there at that moment. My boss, Bishop Tobin. <laughs> For a second I thought I was on that show, Undercover Boss. <laughs> then I remembered that a couple of years ago the bishop had written a column in the Rhode Island Catholic, our diocesan newspaper, and in that column he mentioned the fact that when he goes on vacation, he sometimes attends Mass incognito, in other words, in regular lay clothes, to get an idea of what you lay people are subjected to each and every week by us priests. Well, apparently I was the one picked for evaluation on this particular vacation. But I'm happy to say it did end well after I picked my jaw up off the floor. The bishop came along in the line and he greeted me very warmly and with that smile still on his face, he said that I had done a great job and that he was really proud of me, which I thank God for. If he had been upset, he might have put me on the next boat to Cuba, <laughs> which might have made some of you very happy. Hope not, but it might have. And that's actually my point. I'm happy to say I did receive a lot of positive feedback, not only from the bishop, but from many of the parishioners who were at that Mass last Saturday evening. But that's not always the way it is. There are times when a preacher proclaims the Word of God on a Saturday night or on a Sunday morning at Mass, and he ends up getting a lot of negative feedback, a lot of angry feedback, and sad to say, sometimes even some hateful feedback. So he has to be prepared for it. This truth, by the way, has a certain application to you lay people as well as to us clergy. As lay people, you are called to bring the gospel message into the marketplace. In fact, that's your primary role as lay people. Some people think the primary role of lay people in the church is to do things like be a lector or an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion or a CCD teacher. No, those 
roles are very important, but they are secondary. Your first, your primary role as lay people in the church is to take the gospel message out of the church building, bring it into the world, into your jobs, to places where you recreate and socialize, to evangelize the culture. But if you do that nowadays, if you're serious about taking the gospel into the world, you're going to have to stand up for things that many people in our culture right now reject. And you're going to have to reject some things and stand against some things in our culture that many people approve of and accept. For example, if you're serious about taking the gospel out into the world, you're going to have to stand up for the sanctity of human life and against attacks on human life that come in things like abortion and euthanasia, physician-assisted suicide. You're going to have to stand up for purity against things like pornography. You're going to have to stand up for traditional marriage and against so-called gay marriage. You're going to have to stand up for charity and against selfishness and materialism as our Holy Father, Pope Francis, is constantly reminding us. And that will definitely make you unpopular with some people. Of course, we can all take some consolation in the fact that whatever negative reactions we might experience from others when we defend the truth of the Gospel, those reactions will probably not be as severe as the reaction Jesus experienced from the people of Nazareth in today's Gospel story. And I can certainly attest to that. After all, no one has ever tried to throw me off a cliff after hearing one of my homilies. At least not yet. <laughs> and what was it that got these people so upset in the synagogue that day as they listened to Jesus give his first sermon? You know what it was? Love. God's love. Specifically, God's love for people who are not Jewish. That, believe it or not, is what enraged them. Notice the two people Jesus mentioned in his talk, both of whom received special graces, special favors, special blessings from the Lord. The first was the Sidonian woman whom the Lord saved from starvation along with her son through Elijah the prophet. You read about that in the Old Testament. The second was Naaman, the Syrian army commander who was healed by God through the prophet Elisha. You also read about that in the Old Testament. Both of those people were Gentiles. That is to say, both of them were not Jewish. Jesus used those examples for a reason. He wanted to make clear to the people in the synagogue that God's love extends to all human beings not just to the Jews. Here's how one scripture scholar, William Barclay, described it. He said, What angered the people that day was the apparent compliment that Jesus paid to Gentiles. The Jews were so sure that they were God's people that they utterly despised all others. They believed that God had created the Gentiles to be fuel for the fires of hell. And here was this young Jesus, whom they all knew, preaching as if the Gentiles were specifically favored by God. It was beginning to dawn upon them that there were things in this new message the like of which they had never dreamed. 
Actually, for the people in the synagogue of Nazareth that day, the idea that God loved all people was not a dream. It was nothing short of a nightmare. And they tried to put an end to the nightmare by putting an end to Jesus, which, of course, they were unable to do. And how did Jesus respond to this rejection? Well, let me tell you this morning how he did not respond. He did not respond by changing the message. He did not respond by changing his gospel. We have no record of our Lord either recanting or contradicting this teaching he gave at the very beginning of his earthly ministry. Not once did he ever deny the universality of God's love. Quite to the contrary, he vigorously affirmed it. In places like John 3.16, that famous passage when he said to Nicodemus, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but might have eternal life. Everyone in that passage means everybody, Jew and Gentile, without exception. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, was consistent. And you know, that's one of the great marks of holy people. Holy people are consistent. And Jesus was perfectly consistent. He was perfectly consistent in what he taught, which was the truth. He was perfectly consistent in the way he taught what he taught. He did it with love. And he was perfectly consistent in living what he taught. The challenge for you, the challenge for me, the challenge for all of us is to be like Jesus, even when our boss isn't watching us.